Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. By the way... I'm very excited to tell you something. This Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern, I'm not just hawking this. I really want you to watch this. 5 p.m. Pacific on Fox, Life, Liberty, and Levin. I have two brilliant, brilliant men. John Ioannidis of Stanford and Dr. David Katz of Yale. Two men who knew the Fatality rates were wrong. Two men who argued early on for focused and strategic mitigation. Two men who warned about the devastation that might occur to the economy. And they did this a month and a half ago. A month and a half ago. Why were they right? What did they know? Now, you know I've read their articles to you. Uh, Dr. Ioannidis has been around some time, but I brought him to, uh, to national prominence as a result of reading his piece because it made so much sense to me. I go on this obscure site called statnews.com because, as you know, I do a hell of a lot of reading and studying and research all hours of the day and night, and there he was. He's now the most cited expert on these issues in the world. And of course, Dr. Katz wrote a brilliant piece, shockingly published in the New York Times. And so both men, one and then the other, will be on Life, Liberty, and Levin on Fox, not just for quick hits with 15 guests. They're going to have time to speak, and I think you're going to find what they have to say extremely compelling. And it's really aimed at the governors in this country. And I want to talk about one governor in particular. Uh, There's a number of these blue state governors and a couple of the red state governors, but mostly the blue state governors who are utterly and completely incompetent. But they get magnificent press because they're leftists. And one of the most incompetent governors in the country is Andrew Cuomo. I'm not sure why the president has praised him over the months. But for the rest of the country, and many New Yorkers, I know, they write me, Governor Cuomo is the we-need governor. He never plans ahead. He doesn't prioritize properly. He is a left-wing political hack who has used the state budget to advance a left-wing agenda, to redistribute wealth. He's chased out people out of the state, out of the city of New York, as has DiCamio in New York City. And so when you're hit with a crisis, and New York sure as hell was, and is, and when your government's already spent out, 
It doesn't have any money left. Because it, I guess I can't say pisses away. So I won't. That just blows the money. On God knows what. And it's focused on LGBTQ, infanticide, illegal aliens, and providing them with driver's licenses, and on and on and on. Same with the city of New York. Then the people of New York and the people of the city of New York are, are not served. When you prioritize solar panels over ventilators, there's something wrong with you. This governor and that mayor, they just hope that when the crap hits the fan, that they're not in, in office, that it'll fall on somebody else to deal with it. Whether it's massive pensions, massive debt, and so forth and so on. Andrew Cuomo is a lousy governor. I don't care if he has 100% approval. Saddam Hussein had about 100% approval in Iraq. We know how well that went. And why his press conferences aired on all the networks all the time, I don't know. Because he sits there like a barely literate leftist pontificating and basically begging for money. The state that spends the second or third most amount of money in the country, I think it's even ahead of Texas, begging for money. The people of New York who've been paying taxes year after year after year, look at your paychecks, New Yorkers. What are you getting for it? Well, apparently not ventilators and beds. This fool Cuomo keeps talking about federalism. Well, he's demanding that the federal government pay his costs. The chief executive of New York is Cuomo. Now, that doesn't mean you have one-way federalism where he gets to do whatever he wants and then everybody else has to pay for it. It is not the federal government's responsibility to subsidize Cuomo's bad past decisions. But we care about our fellow citizens, whether they're in New York, whether they're in New Orleans, whether they're in Los Angeles, whether they're in Podunk. We're Americans. But these governors don't think that way. So I'm going to address Cuomo today. Mr. Producer, give it a shot. Invite him on the radio show next week, will you? I won't hold my breath. And not Fredo. Nobody cares about that head job. Here he is today. Cut eight. Go. We have to stabilize the finances of the state. The federal government has passed three bills to address this crisis. Of those three bills, the state governments have gotten precisely zero, zilch, nada in unrestricted aid. Now stop. I don't want to hear the word federalism again from any of these Democrats or any of these governors. It is not our responsibility to cover the budgets of state government. Folks, can you imagine the consequences of this? Can you imagine the consequences if this precedent is set? He's saying we not only want federal dollars, we want them without strings attached. He called it unrestricted aid. Unrestricted aid. And then he claims federalism He'll decide when the business is open. He'll decide when people don't have to wear masks. He'll decide 
when people can live their lives. And by the way, he hasn't just shut down New York City. He shut down the whole state. Parts of the state where the coronavirus is barely even known. It's a big state, New York. Go ahead. The state should this, the state should this, the state should this. Yes. Well, what support have you given the states? See that? The state should this, the state should that, the state should this. The reporters in that room are so unknowledgeable or so left-wing, they won't challenge this governor, even though he's a hypocrite who contradicts himself every 10 seconds. Governor Cuomo, yes, journalist Mark. I have a question, yes, yes. In the 1960s, your state was the first state to pass the the certification of needs law that gave New York the power to decide how many hospital beds at once. And in the last two decades, you've cut them by 20,000, including while you've been governor. How many ventilators you want? You didn't buy enough ventilators. Whether you can expand hospitals and so forth and so on, you haven't done any of these things. Why did you prioritize other things over the health and welfare of your citizens? I think that's a fair question. He's never been asked that question, ever. Governor Cuomo, yes, yes, you again, Mark. Uh, yeah, yes, journalist Mark. Yeah, I have a question. Do you understand what federalism is? Do you understand what the Tenth Amendment is? It means that you get to make these decisions and you live with the consequences. And the people don't like it, they get to throw you out on your ass. You don't get to make all the decisions and then all the other states and the people of all the other states pay for them. That's not federalism. That's Cuomoism. Let's be careful how you say that. That's Cuomoism. You wanted the authority to decide what happens with your hospitals, in your hospitals, to your hospitals, and you didn't exercise it properly. That's what we mean. The support you've given the states. Now, by the way, so he's mocking Trump before Trump tweeted anything. While Trump has spent hours and hours, as has the vice president of the task force, trying to address the problems of New York City and New York, prioritizing New York as the hotspot. With federal material, federal resources, federal personnel, the United States military, the Army Corps of Engineers, HHS, NIH, the CDC, just pouring resources and personnel, federal resources and personnel into the city and into the metropolitan area. And this is the thanks the administration and the people who do this get from this governor. Mocking them. Well, what support have you given the states? Well, the states... The state should do this. The state should do that. And then he says he's a federalist. He's a moron. He was a moron before the virus, and he's a moron during the virus. And he's made very, very bad decisions as governor that have led the state and the city to this point. He has. And so the only out he has is to beg for money from other states. That is the federal government. You know what's interesting? I don't hear this from the governor of Florida. I don't hear this from the governor of Texas. I don't hear this from the governor of Georgia. Day in and day out, day in and day out. That the federal taxpayers and the citizens of the other states owe this state, owe this city. This guy's an ingrate. 
He's an ingrate. He should be thanking the citizens of America for rallying around New Yorkers. And we should rally around New Yorkers, despite the fact that they have a reprobate as a governor. Go ahead. I mean, how can that even be? How is it even plausible as a strategy? Uh, It doesn't work. We need financial resources to stabilize the states. because. Let me ask you something, you schmo. How about the federal debt? Which is massive. The federal debt. How does that make sense? Printing money and printing money and printing money. Ever hear of inflation? Hyperinflation? Worse yet, deflation? When the value of everything sinks through the floor? And people can't work, they can't make a living, their savings are shot, their pensions are gone? That makes this look like a joke, with all due respect. He doesn't have any concern about any of that. Any more than he did any concern about hospitals and hospital beds and ventilators before the pandemic. This guy's a political hack. He's a moron. That's it. Pure and simple. I'll be right back. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand, and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. More from Cuomo today and, and why uh, stations give him all the time they give him, I don't know. There are other governors in this country from very big states like Florida. Florida is a state that's actually bigger than New York in terms of population. How did that happen? Texas has a bigger population. How did that happen? Well, people have left New York because they're sick and tired of people like Cuomo and de Blasio. Some people can't leave but want to leave. They love their city. They love their state. But they hate what's been done to them. Here's more Cuomo. Cut nine. Go. We need to support the states because who, the state- who is we? The other day, you moron, you went on and on about federalism. You know what happened in 1918? Everybody likes to talk about 1918. You know what happened in 1918 when Woodrow Wilson, a Democrat, was president? Mr. Progressive, the first progressive Democrat as president of the United States, you know what he did for the states? You know what he did in the middle of the worst flu in modern American history? Nothing. Zero. Nothing. Trump is conducting himself in a way that progressives should be happy with. Not that he's a progressive. But they've won the last hundred years. If Trump was doing what Mr. Progressive was doing in 1918, they wouldn't get a damn penny. Go ahead. Are the ones who are doing this. Reopening is up to the states, right? 
that's the federal decree. Uh, it's no, 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 no. That's what you demanded. You made a whole issue about federalism. Do you not remember one day to the next? Are all of you sort of Joe Biden-ish? Go ahead. The governors will decide. The states have to decide. Everyone is in a different position, and it's up to the states, which I agree. It also happens to be the Constitution. No, it doesn't happen to be the Constitution. This guy. And they even hear some idiotic conservatives go on and on and on. I'm not going to repeat the interstate commerce clause. I will if I come under attacker. It does, and I will have, you know, I will demonstrate how wrong the cheap shot artists are. But let's continue. Go ahead. Uh, I also think it's the right approach. Okay, it's up to the states. But then don't ask the states. Don't give them this massive undertaking that has never been done before. Wait, wait, wait. Massive undertaking to open your economy? Is that a massive undertaking, ladies and gentlemen? To say, okay, let's get together. This business can open. This business can open. You know, maybe we'll wait on sports stadiums a little bit or this one. Maybe whatever. That's a massive undertaking. Why does that cost any money? Why does that cost a plug nickel? It's the businesses that are losing money. It's the individuals who are losing money. They're losing their livelihoods. But look, look how a radical left-wing progressive by the name of Andrew Cuomo conducts himself. He's talked more about his state budget and his state needs money than he has about the businesses and people in New York who are suffering as a result of the economic shutdown. And what he really wants, let's be clear, and I've talked about this before, is for you and me to bail out his debt. That's what the clown in California wants, the clown in New Jersey wants, the clown in Illinois wants. That's what they really want. For all of us to bail them out. For instance, he says here earlier, he wants unrestricted aid from the federal government. What does that mean? What will that go for? Will it go for abortions? Will it go for aid for illegal aliens? What will it go for? This guy is tyrannical. He's got a mind of a sponge. Go ahead. And then not give them any resources to do it. Hey, pal, Uh, it's not up to us to give you resources to do it. You've taxed the hell out of your people. Where did all that money go? You've taxed the hell out of your businesses. Where did all that money go? You've taxed the hell out of anyone who drives a vehicle in and out of New York City. Where did all that money go? Where did it go, you moron? Solar panels. I'll be right back. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand, and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics 
are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Mark Levin, speaking to the four out of five Americans who are literate at 877-381-3811. I've had enough of this guy, Cuomo. I'm not going to waste any more time on him unless I need to circle back depending on events and circumstances. I have a question for the crowd that supported the general sheltering, hunkering down of the population. Even after we were getting enough data and enough scholars from top schools saying that really the approach should be more targeted, and that is towards vulnerable populations, in vulnerable areas of the country. My question is this. You have no way out. You have no way out of this. Except to make the argument now that this is a seasonal virus or that this virus will hit us in phases and in waves. Because the really draconian approach that everybody, virtually, or most people, uh, need to stay at home, not go to work, not socialize, and so forth, eliminates what's been called, and what I first read about this in mid-March, herd immunity. So if a significant percentage... No perfect number, but if a significant percentage of the population doesn't get the virus and um, their immune systems tackle the virus, defeat the virus, kill the virus, then a significant percent of the population is still going to be susceptible to getting the virus. So how do they get out of this? Well, ultimately, they have to agree with me and people like me and scholars who've made the point that you need to focus on the vulnerable communities. Otherwise, you can never open an economy, ever. So their argument doesn't even make any sense. And if they don't adopt an approach that Dr. Katz, Dr. Ioannidis, the president, I, others, Dr. Bennett, Seth Leibson, many others have embraced, then there's no way out, ever. Because the virus, in a significant way, not in a little way, in a different way, will always be around. Next question to these people. What's the best way to protect? Now that we know the most vulnerable populations in our country. The best way to protect the most vulnerable populations in our country is to protect the most vulnerable populations in our country. And for others who are less vulnerable, or not as vulnerable, that is, to death, once they get the virus and therefore become immune, at least in the first round, they're not a threat anymore to the most vulnerable populations. Now, how do I know this? Because Dr. Ioannidis told me. Because Dr. Katz told me. Because an expert from... Rockefeller University told me. I read another one from Oxford who told me. I didn't make this stuff up. 
It's not conservatives getting together to make absurd arguments. I can cite my sources. And these are very impressive people. And it turns out that their approach and their analysis of data that was available to them has been far more accurate. Far more accurate. Than the everybody hunkered down. Than the everybody hunkered down crowd. So unless the everybody hunkered down crowd eventually adopts the no everybody shouldn't hunker down crowd approach, there's no way out of it. You can't have a functioning economy. And it'll be a long time till you leave your home. In other words, it's nonsensical. The, the, nobody's saying let it rip, quote unquote. What people are saying is you want to save lives, then there's certain steps you have to take especially now that we know have more data and more information. So now that we have more data, right? And now that we have models that are better, what are we doing? We're adopting the everybody shouldn't hunker down crowd position. Even Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks are adopting that position now. Well, that's because we have flattened the curve. Well, they keep pointing out that the curve can come back. Why? Because many of you haven't gotten the virus, even though you're not vulnerable, likely, to death, according to the statistics that we have now. That's why they talk about this could be seasonal. No, we're making it seasonal. What do you mean it could be seasonal? There might be another hit. Yes, well, that's inevitable if you have more people, millions of people, who've never had this virus. And so, the original position actually doesn't make any sense. Plus, it's destructive of the economy and all the economic, cultural, societal, and health consequences that result from that, which are significant. Which are significant. We now have a a piece by uh, somebody who's at MIT. I'm trying to pull it up here was sent to me by a good friend. Is that it? Yes, that is it. It's a working paper series. The subway seeded the massive coronavirus epidemic in New York City. And this piece was written this month. National Bureau of Economic Research. Jeffrey Harris was a working paper, and he sought the input of scores of other experts, economists, and others. And um, while it's not peer-reviewed, it was provided to me and Mr. Harris' Department of Economics at MIT. Hardly a uh, backbencher operation. Here's the abstract. New York City's multi-tentacled subway system was a major disseminator if not the principal transmission vehicle of coronavirus infection during the initial takeoff of the massive epidemic that became evident throughout the city during March 2020. Listen to this. This is what I mean about consequences for decisions. The near shutoff 
of subway ridership in Manhattan, down by over 90% at the end of March, correlates strongly with a substantial increase in the doubling time of new cases in this borough. Maps of subway station turnstile entries. They went through all the elements here, gathered all this data, and pushed it through their economic and mathematical genius. Correlates strongly with the substantial increase in doubling time of new cases in this borough. Maps of subway station turnstile entries superimposed upon zip code level maps of reported coronavirus incidents are strongly consistent with subway facilitated disease propagation. Local train lines appear to have a higher propensity to transmit infection than express lines. Reciprocal seeding of infection appears to be the best explanation for the emergence of a single hotspot in Midtown West in Manhattan. Bus hubs may have served as a secondary transmission out to the periphery of the city. Now, what are they talking about? And you can, I will post this. Well, I don't think I'm allowed to, but I, I'll look into this. But they have their charts, and they show you their models. Nothing hidden here. When the governor ordered a massive reduction, a massive reduction of subway, not usage, but the subway schedule, slashed it. What happened, Mr. Producer? More and more people were packed into fewer and fewer cars because people continued to use the subway system. He didn't ban the use of the subway system. They dramatically cut the schedule on the subway system. And so the cars that were used were packed even more than normally. Same with the buses. They slashed the use of public transportation, the buses. So more and more people who were traveling, this is early on, early on, more and more people got into smaller and smaller, uh, more and more people got into these spaces on the buses. So more and more people into smaller and smaller spaces. And they demonstrate here that it was the second biggest reason for the spread of the virus. The epicenter of the epicenter was in Manhattan. And they trace it back to these decisions early in March before they had good data in New York and in New York City. But it continued, of course, even when they had good data, but they weren't really looking at this. They say with the inc- in the incidence of new infections and COVID-19 hospitalizations leveling off, there will be increasing interest in relaxing social distancing measures. During these renormalization times, the public transportation, uh, transportation system will surely require enhanced scrutiny. That means even more attention to staggered work hours, limits on the numbers of passengers per transport unit, refurbished vehicles with enhanced ventilation, subsidies for drivers, and so forth and so on. This study has touched upon the differential impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on those with the fewest resources as we put this working paper to press. And what they mean by that is those who take public transportation. 
So this one decision, they believe. And they're looking at the subway stops along multiple routes in the four principal boroughs of New York City. And they chart it out. This helped feed and accelerate and spread the coronavirus. Especially in Manhattan and especially in four boroughs. And they take it by zip code, zip code, zip code. They can even take it down to the subway stop. The passenger density was abnormal because of the decision that was made to cut way back on the number of trains, subway trains and the number of buses. So that form of public transportation mitigation, I guess that didn't work. It didn't discourage people from using public transportation. So I guess the question is, for those who believe that everybody should have been shuddering and hunkered down, why didn't they close the subway system? Why did they stop the buses from moving? Would that be a bridge too far, so to speak? And if they did, what would have happened? I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home. On demand and absolutely free of charge, Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can too with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. This also explains this April 8th, 2020 piece in the New York Daily News. And the headline is, MTA workers dying from coronavirus at triple the rate of agencies that employ NYC, New York City first responders. Coronavirus is spreading like wildfire through the MTA's workforce, killing the agency's employees at three times the combined rate of the city police and fire departments, which employ first responders like cops and EMS crews. At least 41 members of the MTA's 71,000-strong workforce have died from COVID-19 over the last two weeks. And they go on about the other groups. Well, now at least we can make a rational conclusion, not a definitive scientific conclusion, but a rational conclusion as to why. Because according to MIT, certainly an economist or a group of them there, when the decision was made to slash the schedule, 
of uh, subway trains, the number of subway trains and buses, you had more and more people in a smaller and smaller area in effect, so the density is enormous. And that's exactly what this virus needs to spread. So it was the wrong decision, wasn't it? And I think this is what we're going to find from time to time. So the hottest areas of the hot zone uh, can be pinpointed on the subway line and on the bus lines. And the reason the MTA workers are dying at a, at a higher rate than, than some of the others is probably because they're the ones that were exposed to this high-density situation on their trains and on their buses. Those of you who don't live in New York should thank God you don't have a governor like Cuomo, although some of you live in Illinois, New Jersey, and California, uh, where you also have uh, three stooges right there. And these states are going to have the most difficult time coming out of, out of their shutdowns, so to speak, uh, not just because of the spread of the, of the virus, but because they've made it more difficult to find a way out. They've made it more difficult to find a way out. MTA workers dying from coronavirus at triple the rate, this is in New York City, of agencies that employ NYC first responders. This is uh, about a week and a half ago, this piece in the New York Daily News, and it, uh, it comports with the MIT study by The Economist that said that the decision... Well, they won't put it this way, but I'll put it this way. The decision by Slow Cuomo to limit the number of trains or cars in the subway system early on in March and to limit the number of buses resulted in people, particularly poor people, but not purely poor people, um, getting on fewer and fewer trains and creating an, an extremely dense situation, dense rider situation on the subways in New York and on the buses in New York. And it's their conclusion based purely on the math. Purely on the math. Looking purely at the numbers. That this is what really set off the virus in New York City. Particularly Manhattan, but in four boroughs total. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. I do this show despite God knows how many distractions, but here I am. You know, um, I notice, I'm going to circle back, I said, of events require me to do so with this Cuomo. You notice there's a bill that the Republicans are trying to pass in the Senate for a quarter of a trillion dollars. 
$251 billion to help small businesses. Many of you are going to be mad at me. This, this stuff's not going to work. Opening the economy will work. Has anybody heard Governor Cuomo support that bill? He's never supported that bill. He's never said a word about it. Why not? Aren't there small businesses in New York? New York City? Of course there are. Well, wouldn't people in New York and New York City be able to access some of these funds? Of course they would. So why isn't Cuomo getting behind it? Because he's a hack. Because Schumer's not behind it. Because Pelosi's not behind it. Because they want more money for other stuff. Plus, Cuomo wants you to bail him out. And I'm going to tell you about Cuomo. I just, during the break, looked this up. All I did is, is bing New York City state budget 2019. And you know what popped up? This article from November 22nd, 2019 in the New York Post. You want to hear this? Here's the headline by Bernadette Hogan and Carl Campanelli. New York State faces six $1 billion budget hole next year, officials said. November 22 was before this virus, in any noticeable way, hit New York. So before any of this, Governor Cuomo faces, I'm quoting, a growing budget mess, as officials projected a shocking $6.1 billion hole in the state's finances next year. That's this year. The figure was provided by the State Division of Budget in its mid-year budget report, which was released weeks after its legally mandated due date. That tallies up to roughly 6% of the state's $102 billion budget for its agencies and operations. So it has a $102 billion budget, and it's off by 6% in one year. It goes on. More than half the gap, $4 billion dollars, is linked to a dramatic rise in the state's Medicaid costs. These states that have given the most liberal financing towards Medicaid or who include illegal aliens in Medicaid, they're bleeding. And they want you and me to fix this. This is what this is really about. This is what this is really about. In an effort to patch the hole, Cuomo's considering slashing payments to hospitals and nursing homes in the current budget, and perhaps next year. Quote, savings may include across-the-board reductions in rates paid to providers and health plans, reductions in discretionary payments, and other actions that can be executed administratively in the current fiscal year, the report reads. It's Cuomo's biggest budget shortfall since he came into office in 2011, experts said. This bastard's been a governor for, for over nine years. This is the toughest budget that Cuomo has faced, partly because he had bigger gaps when he took office. He took office nine years earlier. But he also made more political capital. He kind of owns this crisis because it's not driven by the economy. Listen to this. It's driven by the shortcomings of his own management of the Medicaid program in particular. One health care... So here you have a governor who's short ventilators, who's cutting hospital beds who's off by 6% on his budget as a result of his budget priorities. Now he wants everybody else to take care of him. He's worried about his own backside, America. He's not worried about New York. These were his decisions. He placed New York in a vulnerable position. 
One health expert said the growing Medicaid costs are the result of New York's costly and unwieldy health care system. What? One health care expert said the growing Medicaid costs are the result of New York's costly and unwieldy health care system. Quote, they failed to present a real plan, criticized Dave Friedfeld of the Citizens Budget Commission, a fiscal watchdog group. They've known about this for a long time, but the plan they, uh, they did pre- repre- uh, present is really one part gimmick. Now, his analysis shows the state was already in trouble after pushing off a $1.7 billion Medicaid bill in March 2019 into 2020, which grew into about $4 billion. So this guy has been a fraud from day one. An unwieldy health care system in the state. They allow people into their health care systems that a lot of states don't. They're up there near the top in terms of benefits under Medicaid, and they can't afford that in New York. But that's his agenda. That's his politics. That's his base. And so it's a $1.7 billion Medicaid shortfall in 2019, and he's pushing it into this year, back in November. And now it's grown to $4 billion. And then he's got another $2.1 billion in the hole. A spokesman for the Division of Budget refused to give details of head of Governor Cuomo's January budget address on how the state plans to cut Medicaid expenditures incurred and rolled over from last year. So he would have the federal government bail him out. And he's using this virus. He's using the horror of what's taken place to the people in New York City, in particular in the metropolitan area. He wants his costs, his budget, that was deep in the hole. What do they call it here in the article? Shocking. A shocking $6.1 billion hole, 6% in the state's finances. This year, because I'm part of an unwieldy hospital and health care system. This is why... Cuomo said, let's go to cut eight. Now, listen carefully. This is what I do. I put these things together. Listen carefully to what he says. Cut eight, go. The state governments, uh, you know, I still eat. Dr. Zucker still eats. This is not cut eight, Mr. Producer. Go to cut eight. Stabilize the finances of the state. The federal government has passed three bills to address this crisis. Of those three bills... The state governments have gotten precisely zero, zilch, nada in unrestricted aid. In unrestricted aid. He wants unrestricted aid, not virus-specific aid, not even to be reimbursed for the cost directly associated with this virus, although let's admit all this money is fungible. He wants unrestricted aid. Now, why does he want unrestricted aid? Because of what I just read to you. Back in November, they predicted that this year, New York would be $6.1 billion, or 6% of its budget, short, in the hole. Which the New York Post said was shocking. That's why he's attacking President Trump. That's why. He's demanding federal aid. That in part is why the Democrats are holding up this other spending binge, if you will, this $250 billion, because they want more for, quote-unquote, the states. 
and quote-unquote the hospitals in the states. Meaning, among others, New York's unwieldy hospital system, quote-unquote, and their deep debt that they had long before the coronavirus. This man is a huckster. He's a fraud. And not a single so-called journalist in that room, when he's sitting there and pontificating, barely coherent, has even asked them about this. And they know about it. I'm not a reporter in New York. They're reporters in New York. A massive budget deficit long before the coronavirus. And that's why he's fighting. He wants you and me, the other states, he wants the federal government, he wants the president of the United States to save his poor ass. That's what he wants. It's not about the people of New York. This guy's been in charge for almost a decade. He doesn't know how to run a state. He doesn't know how to run a budget. He's a spendaholic. When it came to ventilators, he picked solar panels. He's been slashing hospital beds. Here, they're threatening to slash the hospital system. Now we have the virus. He doesn't have enough ventilators, he said. Turns out he did. But he's had in hand. Why is he had in hand? Because he was running a massive debt. That's why. Now, he doesn't care if he passes that on to you and me and the President of the United States and the Republican Senate and the Congress. He doesn't care. Same with the schmo in California. Same with the schmo in Illinois and the schmo in New Jersey. It's caught up with them. And it's having a horrendous effect on their constituents, on the people of New York and New York City. In addition to his damnable priorities that did not put the people of New York first, that did not put the health of the people of New York first. He's destroyed their budget. And I don't know how many more taxes you can raise in New York, what else you can tax, how high you can tax. People are leaving in droves. People are depopulating the state. They're going to Republican states. Andrew Cuomo and Gavin Newsom want to do to the United States budget what they've done to their own budgets. And the Republicans have taken them 90% of the way there. But it's not enough. And Cuomo will keep talking about we states, we can't be expected to carry this crisis on our shoulders without federal money. He didn't have any money before this. If this man were running a bank, he'd be under arrest. If this man were running a mortgage company, he'd be under arrest. But here he is with over 80% popularity in New York. You want to know why? Because they let him go on and on in these press conferences. You know, he doesn't have the press challenging him and attacking him the way the President of the United States does. No, no, no. They kiss his butt. And they don't do research, either because they're ideologically driven or they're too stupid. It took me literally 20 seconds to find this article during the break. Andrew Cuomo wants you and me to bail out his state's debt that he created long before this virus. 
a shocking, quote-unquote, shocking $6.1 billion hole in the state's finances, unquote. That's from a November article. And among other things, he wanted to slash the hospitals because the hospital system is, quote, unwieldy in New York, unquote. So progressivism, massive deficit spending, has contributed to the mayhem and the death in the hottest of the hot spots in the country, New York. Bad decisions, solar panels over ventilators, slashing hospital beds, bad decisions when it came to public transportation, bad decisions contributed mightily. Not exclusively, obviously, but contributed mightily to the worsening of the situation in New York. I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. You know, some days I think uh, Donald Trump's the governor of New York, don't you, Mr. Producer? Some days I think Donald Trump's the governor of New York, and he's doing a hell of a better job than, than Andrew Cuomo. I mean, you can, you can have a robot in that job of all you're going to do is, we need money, I need money, I need, I need. And then when you start to really dig into this guy's record, it's a disaster. And the media know it, and they cover it up. It's a disaster. And then his, his hypocrisy and contradictions. He spews federalism. If we had federalism, he wouldn't get a penny. If we had federalism, the New Deal would be half dead. He doesn't believe in federalism. He's an autocrat. He believes he should have all the power but none of the negative consequences from his decisions. That's not federalism, that's Cuomoism. And now he wants you and me to bail him out. Not because of the virus, because this guy was running a, a massive debt before anybody heard of the Wuhan China virus. Because of his bizarre priorities. This is what happens when you have leftists running these states. This is why the media keep just trying to distract you and attack the President of the United States relentlessly. No matter what the man does. And yet, no matter what Cuomo does, it's perfectly fine. 
Now you got that moron Newsom in California. Same thing. Now's the time, you know, to, to transform the country to a real progressive type country, ladies and gentlemen. Which means regressive. Which means rejecting the Constitution. Rejecting the limits on central government. It goes on and on and on. President of the United States has no obligation to turn the United States into the mess that Cuomo's turned New York into, or California, or Illinois, or New Jersey. And yet we've gone some distance in doing that with this massive spending. And notice they're never happy. Trillions and trillions spent, like good liberals. Not enough. Okay, another $250 billion for small business. No, 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 we want $500 billion, another half a billion, a trillion, for something else, maybe $1 trillion. Oh, well. Infrastructure, one and a half trillion, grew to two trillion. Maybe it'll be two and a half, three, three trillion. Do I hear four, four trillion, four, four? How about five, 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 five trillion? It's like an auction block. And the consequences haven't been felt yet. The president says, all right, let's open the economy. You have no authority to tell us what to do. Just give me money. But as I explained yesterday on this program and on Hannity last night, I hope the president's lawyers and the Justice Department's listening. He's got more power than they think under the Interstate Commerce Clause. If these closing of these businesses and their effect on interstate commerce doesn't raise issues of federal authority in the Supremacy Clause respecting the interstate commerce, then nothing does. That little decision in 1942 about a farmer growing wheat on his own land, that's a joke of a decision. Imagine what they would have done that court in the New Deal with what's going on today. FDR would have used it in so many ways to control these states and to control these governors. And what's amazing to me, these governors take all this money and all this help from Trump and the administration, the federal government, and they keep poking them in the eye. How does that serve the people in New York? How does that serve the people of California, Illinois, New Jersey, and all the rest of it? It doesn't. It doesn't. The reason why Cuomo can't raise the money in his state is because they've blown it. They are chasing citizens out of that state, out of that city, with these confiscatory taxes. All they have to do is travel a few states, maybe 1,000, 1,200 miles away, and they go to a state like Florida where there's no income tax. It's like Nirvana. You have people leaving California paying 13.3%. They go to Florida, they pay zero. I'll be right back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Making sure the land of the free and the home of the brave stays that way. Dial Mark Levin now at 877-381-3811. By the way, I want to apologize in advance. I've got a number of friends out there want to come on the radio, want to draw attention to efforts they're undertaking in various states and nationally, and I mean many, uh, 
to build grassroots support for opening the economy. The problem is I'd be doing this all day and I just can't. Uh, my bosses wouldn't like that. You wouldn't like that. But if you hear about them, you should join them and get involved in it. And I'm talking about in California, Texas, Kentucky, Illinois. I'm talking about a couple of national organizations. And I'm all for it. All for it. But I just can't, you know, this can't be rally center uh, or we're going to lose our audience. That's number one. But I'm glad we've helped uh, spur this. But the people who've really helped spur this are the Democrat governors who are really abusing the people in their states. We have some good callers waiting, and I want to get to them in a minute. If we don't have a good caller, I don't go to them. That's why I get disappointed sometimes when the guy gets in or the gal gets in, and they're like, oh, good Lord. You know what I mean. But most of our callers are pretty good. For all our sakes, for all our sakes, uh, people who obviously have the virus need to stay home. People who are vulnerable to the virus need to protect themselves. You know, you don't have to go to the post office. If you need to get postage, you need to mail a package. Or what if you need postage to send out letters and packages? You don't have to worry anymore. Virus or no virus, stamps.com is here to help you. It's like it was invented for these times. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. And once you mail, your, your mail is ready, you just leave it uh, for your mail carrier. Schedule a free package pickup or drop it in a mailbox. No human contacts required. That's one of the reasons I like it, even before the virus. Just kidding. It's that simple. And now, in addition to uh, you know, offering discounted U.S. postal service rates, Stamps.com also offers UPS services with discount rates up to 62%. Plus, with Stamps.com, you won't even have to pay UPS residential surcharges. Holy mackerel. I don't even like mackerel. Right now, my listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in bunker. That's stamps.com, enter bunker. Stamps.com, bunker. Stay safe, my friends. So the president tweets out, liberate Minnesota, you know, Liberate New York. Liberate these, these dark blue states. And you know what the left and the media are saying? He's encouraging violence. These same Democrats who supported Black Lives Matter and Antifa, or at least kept their mouth shut, they say the president is encouraging violence by using the word liberate? How about resistance? Does that word encourage violence? How about calling Trump Hitler or Stalin? Does that encourage violence? The Democrats are always encouraging violence. They're violent. Their base is violent. The Republican base isn't violent, in part because the Republican base is much older than the Democrat base. But it's not violent. We don't need lectures from the party of violence. So the president says liberate. The word liberate. Oh, he must mean violence. This is how sick the media are. And they are sick. And I'm going to spend some time on this next hour. I'm going to spend some time on what the media have done to this country. What the media have done to this country, how they've turned it upside down, 
how the media have supported unlawful efforts by the Obama administration to destroy the Trump candidacy and destroy the Trump presidency using the FBI, the CIA, other intelligence operations in coordination apparently with the Russians, willingly, wittingly or unwittingly, I should say. More of the evidence is coming out now. These people should be in prison. They should be in prison. And by the way, while I'm at it, this idiot judge in D.C., I forget her name. She ruled yesterday, well, you were busy with this virus, so you wouldn't know, but I'll tell you that Roger Stone's not going to get a new trial, despite the fact that the foreman on the jury was an anti-Trump, anti-Roger Stone, openly anti-hack. Because she's a hack, appointed by Obama. She's a hack. So they're letting real criminals out of prison, right? They're even letting this clown Michael Cohen out of prison, right? Because of the virus, of course. Are they going to let Manafort out of prison? Why not? Of course not. That would be controversial. And they're going to try and put Roger Stone in prison. While out the back door, they're moving real criminals out. Does that make sense to you? Of course it doesn't. Of course it doesn't. This is this idiot judge. I can't remember her name. I'll figure it out later. Doesn't matter. She's a nobody. She'll go in the annals of history. As a whatever. But let's see here. Let's take some calls. Jimmy, Manhattan, New York, the great WABC. He's a bus driver. How are you, sir? Yeah, Mark, you're the best. You're the first guy I've heard that's actually talked about how this is transmitted in the subways and on the buses. I've been a 20-year bus driver, and I've never seen anything like this. We had 60 dead as of today, 60 drivers and subway people that are dead, cleaners. And you know what? Two weeks ago, I had a friend of mine that wore a mask, and they threatened. This is the government. Now, this is the state. They threatened to suspend him for wearing a mask. We are given one pair of disposable gloves a week and one mask a week. Wait a minute, a whole week? One week. We have to use the plate. That means every time you put that mask on and take those gloves off, you're getting that stuff on your hands. These, look, a lot of these people don't know what, you know, they'll wear them for a week. It's the worst thing you could possibly do. That's so correct. Filthy hands or, you know, it's unbelievable. Am I right about what they've done with the buses and the subways? You know what they did, Mark? They started realizing that we're dropping like flies. So they cordoned off a quarter of the bus, and you make the people go through the back door, stuffing them in even more. So a regular bus is now three-quarters oh of the bus. Oh, my God. They are, and they're not cleaning it. They're saying they're cleaning every suit every 72 hours. Bullshit. Bullshit. Sorry. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> it's garbage. You know what I'm saying? Mark? I, I, I know not only what you're saying. I hear your desperation. You're like stuck. 70, think about this. If 70, It's enormous. If 60 are dead, how many have it? It's they, enormous. Let me tell you something. They wanted to, I really believe, they wanted to cordon off the driver because if you see the driver's dying, that's where it's spreading. I don't think people understand the ground zero of ground zero of this virus is the subway system and the bus system in New York. You are, why are you the only one talking about this? Because I, I do my research. Why, when I turn on ABC and watch this governor every day, I know more about Millie than I do about freaking eight. Oh, I know. Oh, good Lord. About 
the people dying in the line of duty. This is absolutely incredible. No one even knows that 60 bus drivers... Well, they know now. And I said that the number of deaths in your membership is through the roof. It's through the roof. The men and women who work on the subway system and the bus system. And Jimmy, I want to wish you all the best. Just, I, don't, I could say hang in there, but I don't know what the hell good that'll do. But God bless you, Jimmy. You don't hear about this, except here. Now, where, where are the media? Where's the New York slimes? Oh, and the, the daily uh, snooze there in New York. Where are the liberals? Where, where is uh, Fat Boy? What's his, where's Nadler? And where are all the Yentas? Uh, and, uh, of course, Cuomo. Cuomo's a joke. He's a joke, and not a funny joke either. Let's continue. Hector, Springfield, Virginia, XM Satellite, go. Yes, Hector, how may I help you? Hey, Mark, how are you? Okay. Thank you for taking my call. You bet. Um, yes, I, I was uh, having a conversation with... Uh, uh, the guy, he answered the phone, and uh, he answered my question anyway. But uh, uh, last week I called you about um, receiving the money from the government, right? Yes. So I received, well, I don't receive the physical check, but I deposit, they deposited the money into my account. So I got $3,400. My question is, uh, you know, like, I don't want the money, like I told you last time. I, don't I want people to know who weren't listening. You called here last week and said, why am I getting money? Yes. I'm working. I don't want the yeah. money. And they yeah. directly deposit. And, and it's so ridiculous. Again, whether it's the health care or the financial resources, wouldn't that money, if you're going to spend us into oblivion, wouldn't that money be better spent helping a business that goes out of business or helping a person who actually loses their job? Yeah, I mean that's the point. I mean we're supposed to help the ones in need, and and uh, even uh, talking to my wife, uh, my son he just turned 17 years old uh, in February, so he got his first job, and unfortunately he got laid off because of what's going on, and they sent him a letter to uh, claim unemployment, and then my son I feel so proud of him because he says that I know you talk about this. I don't want my name to be in anything that I'm collecting money from the wow. government. Hector, I'm, where are you from originally? You told me, and I don't remember. Yes, I'm from Colombia originally, but I, I'm here. I, 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 I want to tell you something. I could not be more proud of you. And now you mention it, I remember you're from Colombia. You are a tremendous American citizen, and you really understand what America is all about. I really want to thank you, your wife, your son. You know what they're doing? You know what they did at the University of Virginia? You know what they did, Hector? No. They wrote, they wrote among their medical students and everybody else. You know what they said to them? You should file your tax returns. In part, what they said is, if you haven't filed them yet, as an individual, in other words, independent from your parents, so you can get the $1,200. Yeah. Wow. That's what they told the students who weren't working in the first place. Yeah. I mean, it's like me, for example, I'm working. I don't need it. Why did I need that money? There is more people that they, they don't have anything to eat. They're going through a rough moment in their lives right now. They're the one that's supposed to get their help. And like, I'm here working, driving my truck everywhere. And Pelosi, she's at home 
doing nothing. The other ice cream. And that ice cream ain't cheap. You know, she is, uh, as I said, and I'm not the only one to say it, the let them eat ice cream crowd, you know? Yeah. And one more thing before, uh, Mark, if you allow me. Uh, I was talking to my wife about this. Uh, because I hear people calling to shows and how we're going to pay for this debt, right? This debt is going to affect generations to come. Our children, our son, our children's sons, and generations. What about instead of putting those $2 trillion, $4 trillion to send it to everybody, why they don't send that to the people that who really need it and keep the money so that way if, if more people keep coming uh, unemployed or something or they, they lose their job, help them with that it, money. It just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work yeah, that I way. Mean, These people don't think ahead. That's why you have a governor like you do in New York and a governor like you do in California and this clown Pritzker in uh, in Illinois. And I want the people of Illinois to know that when they passed their $2 trillion, they exempted, among others, the President of the United States from getting any aid for his businesses. They didn't exempt the governor of Illinois, whose family has a huge stake. He's an extremely wealthy man in the Hyatt Hotel chain. Isn't that something, Hector? All right, no, my friend. Yeah. You're terrific. I want to thank you for your call. Um, and we'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Yeah, the judge in Washington, the Obama hack, I say that with all due respect, is Amy Berman Jackson. So while they're emptying prisons and jails all over the country, she wants to put Roger Stone in jail, and I notice they haven't released Manafort. I'm starting to think these are political prisoners. I think Manafort's a political prisoner. I think they'd like to make Mike Flynn a political prisoner. They want to make Roger Stone, who I can't stand personally, but that's beside the point things he's said and done uh, about me. But that's, that's not relevant to the law. They want to make him a political prisoner? It's outrageous. And the judge in charge of some of this is this uh, Obama hack, Amy Berman Jackson. And she does it under the cover of the virus. Now I want to say something to you. There are individuals in politics and broadcasting, TV, radio, who want to take credit for helping to open this economy. I think I've spent a lot of time pressing this. But it's not them and it's not me. It's you. You. You've had enough. And that's why the media and the Democrats and the others are trying to keep you down. That's why they'll attack you and attack me and attack other conservatives. We want our liberty back. People are willing to sacrifice, but they're not willing to destroy themselves and destroy their country. We are patriots. It is you. Not any politician, not any TV personality, not any radio personality. It is you who's doing this. And you're making your feelings known all over the country. And when you protest, when you protest, they call you all kinds of names. When they protest and they beat the hell out of people... That apparently is okay. Peaceful protest is as American as apple pie. So you continue your peaceful, peaceful civil protests. 
if this is what you want to do. You want the state governments to know that you want your country back. You want your states back. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Nothing. Nothing. It's American as it gets. Peaceful. Peaceful. Nonviolent protest. You don't need approval by media stars, media hacks, or anybody else. Or anybody else. You have a constitutional right. A federal constitutional right. A federal constitutional right. You know, it's a different world right now, but we don't need to be overwhelmed. We have to work to keep our loved ones safe and to protect our communities. We have to work to stay strong, to stay connected, and to stay focused. We have to work to move forward, to overcome unprecedented challenges, and to support each other. We also have to work to inspire, to innovate, and to build new solutions. But for all this work, we have to work together. At ZipRecruiter, we're on a mission to connect employees and people every day. Today's a little different. We're partnering with first responders, government officials, the medical community, the innovators in the manufacturing, transportation, and food distribution industries to make sure we are finding the right people for the right jobs right now. So if you're one of these companies or one that's looking to hire down the road, ZipRecruiter's here for you, and they're ready to help you. So let's work together. ZipRecruiter.com slash work together. ZipRecruiter.com slash work together. ZipRecruiter.com slash work together. I would ask police commissioners, police chiefs, and police supervisors. Protest, peaceful, legal protest, is part of the heart and soul of America. Please don't arrest these people. Please don't round up these people. You know I'm right. You know I'm right. It's better not to show up at all than round up and arrest these people. I know I'm going to upset the New York Times and the Washington Post and all the rest of them. But I don't give a crap. The right to protest is as much a right as they have to publish newspapers. And I'm not saying we should take their rights away. And they shouldn't take our rights away either. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post... Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Callers, hang in there. I'm going to get to each and every one of you. Our number is 877-381-3811. couple of New York Times reporters out there. Real sleazeballs. Boy, oh boy. Jeremy, I can't remember his last name. You know, we uh, 
conservatives, particularly in talk radio, we didn't take this virus seriously at the beginning. Now, what's interesting is, if you follow the science at the beginning, Dr. Fauci, on January 21st, January 26th, and January 29th, said this would be like a flu, a bad flu, there's nothing to worry about. Why don't they ever bring that up? Because it doesn't fit their narrative. Jeremy, what's his face over there at the New York Times? And so the so-called media critics who cover conservatives, they use this crisis as an opportunity to try and attack and destroy conservatives. This is their mind. They don't know anything else. They wake up in the morning. They go to bed at night. They go out on the weekends. This is, they're, they're obsessed with me and people like me. They can't control themselves. And it has an impact on them. Just the News is a great website. I believe it was founded by uh, John Solomon. And I've now bookmarked it, Just the News. Fewer than half of Americans believe media provide a clear view of the coronavirus. 67% of Democrats give the national media good marks for their handling of the corona coverage, while 55% of Republicans think the media overhyped the danger and created a panic, according to the Just News Daily Poll with Scott Rasmussen. These results reflect a fairly typical partisan divide on the media, Rasmussen said. For many Republicans, probably most, the national media or mainstream media are viewed as liberal media. They dismiss it in the same way that most Democrats dismiss conservative media outlets as partisan and biased. Rasmussen noted that voters under 35 are evenly divided as to whether the media overhyped the danger. Older voters give the media somewhat better marks. Now, data from sources like the Pew Research Center show Trump supporters and Republicans have a deep distrust in the national media. Let me just stop here. You want to really understand the media, and I'm not hawking it. It came out almost a year ago, but if you really want to understand the media, you need to get a copy of Unfreedom of the Press. People say, why is the paperback more expensive than the hardback? Because there is no paperback yet. So the price is up high because Amazon doesn't have anything to give you. Meanwhile, because the paperback will be coming out, the hardback covers 40-some percent off. And so many of them have sold, you can't even get it till May 8th or something like that. But seriously, if you really want to know about the media, it is the most comprehensive study of the media from before our founding up to today, certainly in the last many years. In this last several years, you get a pretty good history lesson, too. But there was an excellent piece in The Federalist, and there's often excellent pieces in The Federalist, uh, by A.D.P. Efferson. Man, I've never seen three initials and a last name. Have you, Mr. Producer? But it is what it is. How media coverage has made Americans sad, scared, and crazy during COVID-19 outbreak. Even before the virus outbreak hit our nation. Americans were exhausted by the ceaseless stream of round-the-clock news, so-called. And a poll released in February by the Pew Research Center found 66% of Americans were worn out by the sheer volume of the news. It's no surprise, then, that the Americans are having difficulty coping with the news now profoundly negative tone. Public consumption of large amounts of adverse news comes at a price. We know a steady diet of bad news is bad for us. But we've rarely seen the deleterious effects on such a grand scale with the media's handling of the Wuhan virus. 
From as far back as late January, when the president declared the coronavirus a public health emergency, now I want you to think about that. While one of his top medical advisors was on radio and TV, saying it's probably a bad flu uh, sort of result or outcome, the president declared the coronavirus a public health emergency late January, same time, and began taking action. Many in corporate media seem compelled to take the opposite view of just about anything he says, even when it's so obviously wrong. That is what they say. A cynical person might think many in the media would rather politically injure the president with massive amounts of negative press than provide viewers urgently needed information about a deadly pandemic. This is why I never watch the Sunday news shows anymore. Ever. Ever. And she gives numerous examples of how the outlets have treated the president. The information to Americans is frequently diverted from public health to Trump attacks. At the point, corporate media decided it was more important to take out Trump than report news. They do bear responsibility for harming our public health. Everyone is affected by this pandemic and need frequently updated information. But the toll of continuously bad media coverage is damaging our mental health. Certainly damaging Pelosi's. Look at her. Certainly Biden. It's affected him for a long time. Anyway, people are being ordered to stay in their homes. And every major news network for the past month has been broadcasting doom into their living rooms. Here's some of the Google News results for coronavirus in March and April. Corona update. And by the way, one of the worst sites is the Drudge Report. And I say this as a guy who loves Matt Drudge. One of the worst sites. If you're on the edge, you better not read that site. It's like, let me look for every conceivable hit job on the president, every conceivable crazy-ass story on this virus. And a few little things there, you know, about uh, women and other things. Coronavirus update, one of the headlines, 1.96 million cases worldwide, 125,000 deaths, and Trump goes into battle with state governors. Next. The mystery of why the coronavirus kills some young people. Next. As U.S. coronavirus deaths surpassed 10,000, HHS watchdog says American hospitals face severe shortages of equipment, staff, and tests. Next. Trump says 200,000 Americans could die from coronavirus. Because he's done a very good job. Next, coronavirus may kill 100,000 or 240,000 in the U.S., despite actions, officials say. Next, coronavirus updates. Fear batters the economy as U.S. death toll rises to 26. Next, workplace versus coronavirus. No one has a playbook for this. Next, U.S. gun sales and ammunition soar amid coronavirus panic buying. Next, how testing failures allowed coronavirus to sweep the U.S. Additionally, there have been alarming increases in suicides, domestic violence, and substance abuse relapses. All made worse by massive unemployment. And while the media's questionable approach to news coverage is not entirely to blame for all these incredible tragedies, there is research to suggest they do have some culpability. Mental health professionals are very concerned about how the steady diet of bad news is affecting people, especially the people reporting it. Have you seen how nutty they are? It's like they're cross-eyed or their eyes are sort of like that actor, Wilder. Their eyes kind of go in different directions. That's what they look like. 
Health Psychology recently published a paper that determined consuming large amounts of negative media is detrimental not just to our mental health, but our physical health too. And the authors found a correlation between prolonged media exposure to tragic events and increased post-traumatic stress and news onset physical health ailments two to three years later. Hmm. The media know they're doing this to the American people? Plans for recovery give people needed hope, she writes. There is hope that local governments may be getting the message. Stateline reports that in the absence of a federal strategy to return to normal, state authorities are beginning to implement plans for recovery. Well, some states are, and some states are not. Ms. Efferson has an MS in speech-language pathology and an MS in counseling psychology. She writes on mental health issues and is a therapist in East Tennessee. So what do I get out of this? Well, that the media is bad for America's mental health. That's what I get out of this. And I think that's about right. Because so many in the media, I believe, have mental health issues. I do. Attention deficit. Obsessive behavior. I mean, they're they're quintessential cases, aren't they? And some of them in the aggregate. The whole network is that way. The Washington Press Corps, for the most part, is that way. I mean, you look at the morning schmo and this is schmo. Broadcasting out of their mini estate in Jupiter, Florida. I'd say that the media has gotten to them mentally. Uh, And of course, given where they are, uh, they're part of the problem. We'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. You know, I, I want to state this carefully because I don't want to cause any problems. I do worry what's going to happen to our banks because the federal government, in specific the Treasury Department and the Federal Reserve, are pressuring banks at all levels. Banks with uh, operations in almost every state and community banks to quickly approve loans for individuals that may have or have no no way of paying them back. 
and the specifics that they're giving these institutions about on how they will be reimbursed should there be a default of some sort. The specifics are non-existent. It's very ambiguous. Now, I know a lot of you like to rail against banks. I don't have any reason to rail against a bank. I don't understand what the problem is, really. You either put your money in or you don't put your money in. You either get a loan or you don't get a loan. But whatever. We rail against everything these days. The point is, you got to have a healthy banking system. So I just worry that this not turn into sort of the SNL crisis. Remember the SNL crisis, uh, Mr. Producer? You were very young at the time. Mr. Call Screen, you remember it? You were in sixth grade. Well, it was a disaster. And they had to be bailed out. Uh, mortgage, mortgages had to be bailed out. Just, it, it was an enormous expense, although nothing compared to what goes on today. But people remember TARP and so forth. We have to have a healthy banking system. If the banking system collapses or is in critical condition... It affects the currency and it affects the entirety of the economy. And what governments do when they're really in trouble, I want you to think about Cuomo and Sanders and Biden and people of this mindset. What do they do? They do one of two things or both. They start nationalizing banks so that everybody's bad debt becomes all of our bad debt. Or they take some deposits from you. Remember that happening a few years ago, Mr. Producer? Not in our banks, but in other countries. They woke up one day and 50% of their savings were missing. This is why I've led the effort to rail against massive centralized government and overreach even during this virus. This is why I challenge these blue state one-party governors This is why I've been the first to talk about civil liberties. And thanks to you, and word of mouth, more and more people are talking about this. Thanks to you, calling to other programs, more and more of you are talking about this. But when I talk about constitutional rights, and I talk about individual liberty, and private property rights, and give the historic perspective, I do it not to hear my own voice, not to pontificate, but because it's relevant. When Barack Obama says, don't look backwards, only look forward. No, 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 wait a minute. I want to look backwards. That's where our liberties come from. I want to look at the Declaration and the Constitution. I want to look at the the Enlightenment. Maybe I want to look at the Bible. I want to look backwards all the time in order to give me some knowledge, some moral direction to figure out what works and what fails. You know, When you're in a lab, and let's say a pharmaceutical company, they're trying to figure out a vaccine or a therapy for this virus. You'll never hear them say, don't look back. They'll say, do look back. Figure out these various therapies. Maybe we can borrow one. Maybe it'll work in this case. Maybe we can adjust it. Maybe we can mix it with another one. Of course you look back. Anybody who's an entrepreneur, anybody who's creative, anybody who's ever invented anything always looks back. You're always standing on somebody's shoulders. As unique as you may think your product is, your thinking is, or whatever, and it may be, but it's not unique in a vacuum. You build a better mousetrap. It's the same with life. 
Why are parents and grandparents important? Because they've lived. They've experienced things. And they want their children as best as they can to avoid some of the things that they experienced. Some of the bad things. Some of the pitfalls. You don't say, teenager turned to his parent and say, I never look back. I only look forward. So you have no guidance. You have no principles. You have no traditions. You have no faith. You're not going to look, I only look forward. You know what that means? I just do what I want to do. I do what I think. That's it. Without any guidance from experience, without any moral principle guidance whatsoever. That's the left. That's the left. So it's important when we look at what's going on here that we not fall into this rut. When you listen to this governor of New York, you know what he's saying doesn't make sense. Now you've got to go figure out why it doesn't make sense. Because he's a liar. Because he's a spendaholic. And now he wants you and me to bail him out. So he attacks Trump. Trump has bailed his ass out. Excuse my French. But don't look back. Whatever you do, ladies and gentlemen, don't look at his bad decisions in the past. And the left always does this. Why? Because they fail. Bernie Sanders used to point to Venezuela. Nope. Bernie Sanders used to point to Cuba. Still kind of does, but not totally. Used to point to Russia. At the height of the Cold War, the Soviet Union. Now, the Scandinavian countries. I say, look at California. Look at New York. Look at Illinois. Look at New Jersey. These are bankrupt states. Where taxes are through the roof. Property taxes, income taxes, sales taxes, use taxes, consumer taxes. Inheritance taxes. These are states that are losing population. California, not so much because of the immigration issue. But not because of taxpayers. They're leaving the state. People walk. They actually leave. We have mobility in this country. That's what federalism actually means. Not bailing out a, an incompetent left-wing governor. That's not federalism. So it's very, very important that we keep this perspective. Civil rights matter. Individual rights, property rights, the Declaration and the Constitution, that and faith, the Enlightenment. This is our guide. We must look back in order to deal what's coming with what's coming. That's why I bring these things up, because we do face them day in and day out. Whether he can protest, whether he can speak, so forth and so on. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at AMAC.us. 
That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. The voice of sanity in an insane world. The Mark Levin Show. Call him now at 877-381-3811. The governor of Michigan said abortion saves lives. Did you hear that, Mr. Producer? This doesn't get any crazier. These people are insane. That whole party is insane. It's been insane since before the Civil War. Joe Biden, of course, he gets very little criticism from the media because they know the poor guy uh, has several loose screws, and he just does. Here's cut four from last night on CNN. Go. You know, there's a, uh, during World War II, uh, you know, where Roosevelt came up with a thing uh, that, uh, you know, was totally different than a, than the, the, it's called, he called it the, you know, the World War II, he had the war, the the war production board. Well, I don't know why we don't set up something like a pandemic production board. Well, Mr. Producer, why don't we set up a pandemic production board? Do you know why? We don't want to produce pandemics. He wants a, not an anti-pandemic production board. He wants a pandemic production board. Well, why would you set up a pandemic production board? Are we producing pandemics? Now listen to the idiot. Cut five. Go. I think we should do a situation like we did in the Recovery Act, and that is that instead of employers, if they're able to stay open, instead of being able to shut it, having to lay off employees, bring on everybody where they keep them working. They may have one person doing 50 percent of the job and another person doing another 50 percent. I think the federal government should just come in and make up the difference in the salaries. Just make up the difference to keep people employed. The most devastating thing a man or woman has to do is make what I call that longest walk up a short flight of stairs where the kids say, Daddy doesn't have a job. We don't have any income. We don't know what's going to happen. Things are in trouble. And so keep people on the payrolls and just have straight, flat payment. I don't get it. So the federal government pays what exactly? Half their salary? He doesn't get it either, so don't, don't be confused. Let's continue, shall we? More Joe Biden on CNN last night. Cut six, go. And so I think we have to look at it totally differently than we have before. And I think the way to get through this is we have to deal with stimulating the economy, but then we have to deal with recovery. Recovery. And the way you deal with recovery is you think much bigger than we have before. It's like the New Deal. Think of every great act, every great change that's taken place. It's come out of a crisis. It's come out of a crisis. Nobody, we worried about the elderly. We ended up with Social Security. We worried about labor. We ended up with more labor and we worried about a whole range of things and what we did we expanded opportunity and i think we have an opportunity now to significantly change the mindset of the american people things they weren't ready to do uh you know even two three years ago they're now going oh my lord look at all those people out there making minimum wage or saving their lives look at all the people out there stocking the shelves look at all the people who are making sure that they're sanitizing the uh, the areas you go into these are people 
people who deserve to be treated better. I think you're going to see minimum wages going up. I think you're going to see the ability of us to provide for significant health care for every single American. I think you're going to see changes in education because the public realizes, holy mackerel, I didn't know this. It's like the Band-Aid's been ripped off. Mm. The systemic you know, the systemic racism that exists, the systemic way in which we treat people who have not had the opportunity to get the education that they're entitled to. I think that's going to all change. I think it's going to build the economy. What, what country is he talking about? What the hell is he talking about? This is a magnificent country. They can never talk about the greatness of this country. All they can do is talk about the greatness of themselves, the greatness of government. I don't know what he's talking about. When you look at these crises, the government likes to take credit. Those men and women who are going into these hot zones and taking care of sick people, that's not the government. That's not the government. The police and firefighter, they work for the government, but that's not the government either. These are brave men and women who, designed, who decided to join a police force or to become emergency personnel or firefighters and so forth. They get paid by the government, but that's not why they joined. They're not paper pushers. It's not the same thing as trying to redistribute wealth and control people. They're in there to save people and help people and protect the civil society. They can be abused and misused by government. That's for sure. Well, what's he talking about here? Now we have to jack up the minimum wage? Does the idiot understand 20 million people, 22 million people have applied for unemployment insurance in the last four weeks? You're going to increase the minimum wage? From what? You don't get jobs from the minimum wage. You don't get jobs from the government. They're government jobs, but you don't create opportunity and wealth and so forth in a country. Except for the private sector. People making all these decisions without advice from mumbling, stumbling Joe Biden. Here we have a guy that can't even tie his shoelaces. And he wears loafers. He can't even put sentences together. It's sad what's happened here. And yet he thinks he can run the country and run the economy. When he can barely run his mouth. Cut seven, go. Anderson, you and I have talked about this. We have an opportunity now to take in a recovery act, a real recovery. We can fundamentally change the science relating to global warming. How do you change the science related to global warming? What the hell does that mean? Science isn't something you change. It is or it isn't. We can change the science relating to global warming. And hasn't he gotten the last talking point? It's climate change. Go ahead. Create, seriously, create 10 million good-paying jobs. Oh, I've heard this from every left-wing kook running for president. We can create 10 million good to 20 million great jobs. And we'll make sure everyone has health care from Obamacare. Even Obama rejects his own Obamacare. Now, he doesn't say it, but he says, that was then, this is now. We can do more. Don't look back. I try not to look back at his presidency, that's for sure. Go ahead. You can do it. It's within our power ah, to do shut it. up, you idiot. We can do it. Do it. Do what? 
This guy's been in government his whole life. He's never produced a single private sector job. His family is filled with leeches, sucking off his name, becoming extremely wealthy. And what's the listen to this jerk? Gets all excited and can barely put a sentence together. The Recovery Act. The rec- which one? What's he talking about? The NIRA? The National Industrial Recovery? I don't know what he's talking about. He doesn't know what he's talking FDR, New Deal, New Deal, FDR. They, they just keep mumbling and bumbling. The truth is, the spending we're doing now makes FDR look like Barry Goldwater. How much more spending? How much more? This is my point. One of these days, I've got to take time and elaborate on this. I don't have time now. You see, ladies and gentlemen, they say every person should have the right to vote. But every person should not have the right to vote. If you're not an American citizen, you should not have the right to vote. If you're 16 years old, you should not have the right to vote. If you voted in Maryland, you don't have the right to vote in Virginia. You don't have the right to vote for dead people. And so the purpose of voting laws and restrictions and identification is to make sure people who have the right to vote vote, not that everybody votes. Because otherwise you disenfranchise the American people. Just as there are crooks who steal things, there are people who try to steal elections. And they do exist. And let's not pretend otherwise. Now, why are the Democrats so excited about more and more people voting when, in fact, they're autocrats? They don't really care what the people think. That's why they favor these out-of-control federal judges, like Berman. That's why they favor a massive bureaucracy that they created, an army of bureaucrats, many of whom are very nice, but many of whom are faceless, of course, and they try to impose their will on us. And they're there regardless of who's elected in election cycles, regardless of who the president is, and they're there to advance not a Republican agenda, not a capitalist agenda, not a property rights agenda, but a big centralized government Democrat Party agenda. That's why the Democrats created the bureaucracy. That's why they continue to fund the bureaucracy, expand the bureaucracy, and empower the bureaucracy and protect it. That's why all the leakers are leaking against Republican presidents. So you might say to yourself, well, then why do they favor all these people voting when in fact they rule by autocracy? The reason's simple. When they get in office, they continue to empower themselves and entrench themselves, the Democrat Party and the federal bureaucracy and the federal courts. That's what they do. And if the voters vote in a way that they don't like, then they rule by unelected government. And if the, the vote away that the voters uh, uh, that the Democrats do like, then they claim to have a mandate from the voters. You see, heads I win, tails you lose. They can never lose. That's what's going on in this country. I'll be right back. Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. 
More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Just the news, by the way, headline, federal agencies paid $175 billion in error during fiscal 2019, according to the GAO. This happens every year. It's between $125 and $225 billion every year. $175 billion in error. That's waste, fraud, and abuse, as Ronald Reagan used to call it last year. I can only imagine what's going to be going on this year this year and of course they don't want to cut any areas of spending they don't want to cut any departments they don't want to cut any agencies it's just full speed ahead spend spend and spend some more why well for the democrats it's because the bureaucracy and the democrats are attached at the hip for the republicans it's cowardice and gutlessness and self-destruction every friday And we're going to continue to do it as long as I'm behind the microphone. We play America in honor of you. Now, why do I do that? Because just like now, you're leading the battle to open up this economy. You are. And you're upholding this country. And so many of you, so many of you are such great heroes. All right, this is in your honor, America and America.
from the Westwood One Podcast Network. Gentlemen, the week is officially over. The weekend begins now. Please watch Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern, Life, Liberty, and Levin. Probably the most important one I've ever done, seriously. We salute the armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, all you folks who are helping this country. God bless you and thank you. Good night, Spritey. Good night, Griffey. Good night, Pepsi. Good night, Smokey. Good night, Zelda. And good night, Gigi, all our little babies. Good night, Dad. Good night, Mom. And good night, Leo. America, God bless you.